wonderful music this morning as it is always but I was especially moved by those last two numbers that led us into the Lord's table wasn't that something Whew. thank you Lord part of the reason I come here well I'm paid I have to but uh, <laughs> but part of the reason we come to worship is sometimes we come in really down and there's some others that will lift us up and then we hear God's word and we hear his music and no matter where we're at we start to get hope again so uh, thanks be to God. All right. Are you ready to get into the Word of God today and, and learn more about the fruit of the Spirit? I'm honored to be with you uh, today. Now, when we think of the fruit of the Spirit, you've seen our little pictures of, we call it the fruit of the Spirit, and there's some like little tangerine slices and such there. That's, that's fine. Uh, but truth be told, when you're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, you're talking about the virtues of a new kind of person. You're talking about God not being satisfied with all of our brokenness and God, even in the table, we see the image of it, him investing himself into us, his body, his blood. I mean, his spirit is in us to start making us what we never imagined we could be. The ancients, especially with Aristotle starting, they called them virtues. The virtues of God that come to take place in human beings. Virtues, synonym character. Now, what is character? What is a virtue? I, I like what Dwight Moody says. Dwight Moody said this. Virtue is who you are in the dark. Chuck Swindoll says, virtue is who you are when nobody sees. It's the remaking of humanity. It's God turning us into to his own likeness. Now, I, I have an analogy for it. I hope this works for you. Uh, any of you watch the little info commercials on, on all these fitness programs you can get? P90X, Insanity, 21 Day Fit, Blio, and, 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 they, and they show you that if you can just give 30 minutes a day, you're going to have a rigorous, God-honoring body. You know, I, and they talk like that. You know, even the girls talk like that. It's kind of strange. All right. But health, fitness, science has come a long ways in the last 30 years. I know because I've been doing it for 40 years. And it used to be, you know, your fitness was simply how much you could bench press. Hey, put another plate on. Oh, I am strong. You know, that, that, we've learned, though, that true fitness doesn't have to do with just one body part. It has to do with everything in your upper body, with everything in your lower body has to do with your core development, has to do with developing your muscles in such a way that balance, get, <laughs> yeah, okay, <laughs> has to do with your body growing in such a way that balance becomes something you can do, has to do with flexibility, has to do with cardiovascular strength. It's a whole remaking of the body, not just a little part. Here's the point. When we talk about the virtues, the fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about all of them. We're, we're not just saying, oh, well, I'll take a little dab of love and uh, not so good in the patience. I'll take a little bit of that, Lord, if you would. And, and, and self No, let's, let's leave the self-control. It's all of them. It's all nine of them and beyond. Here's, here they are again. This is, this is whole soul development. Love, joy, Peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what God intends to do in a holistic development of your soul into a new humanity, okay? Just as fitness, the development of the whole body. Now, in all those fitness things, they show you before pictures and what? After pictures. When it comes to whole soul development of a new humanity, we have the picture. Here's the after picture. Romans 8, 29. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What are you developing into in Jesus Christ? The image of Jesus Christ. Perfect man, perfect God, absolute love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, humility, etc., 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 in perfection. That's what God's up to. Incidentally, that's one of the reasons your life is so hard. God has learned that you got to work out really hard to get good. And so trials and troubles come our ways. But make no mistake about it. Nobody gets to play the victim in any, anymore if you know Jesus Christ and say, well, I just couldn't help it. I'm, I'm bruised and broken through and through. I know it. I am too. But God's at work, and he's making the new man. So that's what we're trying to get across to you through all the fruit. It's a new humanity. All right. Today, what body part are we working on today? The sole part we're working on today is kindness and goodness, all right? Those are the two. Rob gave me the assignment to cover two of them. I don't know why he does one and I have to do two. I don't know. <laughs> self-control, Lon, self-control. <laughs> no, that was just a joke. Rob, if you're listening to this wherever you are, oh, wow, I'm omniscient one. Uh, <laughs> let's start with Kindness. Kindness, used about 33 times in the New Testament. We run into it in the great love passage, don't we? The, the love of God, where it talks about it in 1 Corinthians 13, for love is what? Patient. Love is what? Kind. Definition of kindness. Definition of kindness. The sincere desire for another's welfare. The sincere desire Notice the internal motivation. It's not an action thought. It's what is happening inside. When the kindness of Christ begins to take you over, you will find yourself being kind in your heart. You will start caring for those you don't know. You will start caring for those you didn't want to know. You will start caring for those you don't like. Kindness. Internal motivation, the sincere inner desire for another person's welfare. Now, watch the definition of goodness. The actions to advance another's welfare. The actions, the doing it. What is happening inside that's developing your own grace and kindness for people starts to move through you in your actions with other people. Internal, external, internal, external. That's why 
they rightly go very close together. The truth is, some expositors, and Pastor Rob saw this too, we all did as we started studying these passages, their kindness and goodness are like a one-two that can't be separated. Internal, external. Almost synonyms, if you will. All right, so as we take a look at kindness, I'd like you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, 32 through 36. It's on page 1021, and we're also going to put it on screen today for those of you who perhaps didn't bring a Bible or a a, a device that you can turn on and have a Bible app. Chapter 6, 32 through 36. Here we go. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Once again, love your enemies, do good to them without expecting getting anything back then your reward will be great and look what it says everybody and you will be the children of the most high remember what we're talking about God's making us into a new person when you when you start doing that you are the children of God most high and then look what it says because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked so be merciful just as your father is merciful. He is kind to the ungrateful. He is kind even to the wicked. And the God of kindness is the God who dwells in a believer. So you need to start expecting that to happen. Now sometimes the best way to try to understand a virtue is to think about the vice. Think, think the opposite, okay? So here we go. If, if kindness is the virtue The vice I've chosen is meanness, meanness. Any of you watch Wimbledon at all this week? Yes, great, good, good, not not many, okay, Uh, fine. Well, I'm going to talk about it anyway. Uh, Wimbledon is this great tennis tournament that takes place in England. Even the queen goes sometimes. I mean, it is... It is upper crust, it is civility, it is right behavior, Uh, everybody dresses the appropriate way, et cetera, et cetera. This week at Wimbledon, something broke the Wimbledon protocol. In the end of the first or the second round, one of the players had won their match, and he's walking back, and as he walks back after winning his match, they're putting their rackets away, and they, and they use these towels to, you know, get their perspiration off and stuff. And, and as he's, he's just a few feet away from the first row seats, kind of like I am with you guys right here, and, and, and there's a boy that's maybe in the second, third row, and he's kind of run down. He's maybe 10 years old. He got as close as he could, and you can hear him saying through his lips, can I have your towel? Because that's what they do at tennis. They, they, they take their hand things. If they had a headband, they throw, I wouldn't want one. They're pretty sweaty. But they throw them out to people. And this kid, he wanted the guy's towel. And so the guy is doing like this, and he hears it, and he just looks up, and he throws his towel to the boy. But in the first row, there's a mean man. 
And, and the little boy reaches over the first row to get the towel, which was clearly being thrown to him. And then the mean man in the front row, large, mean man, he, he, the towel, he, the little boy is reaching like this. He reaches up and he takes it from the little boy and they're fighting over it. And then he, because he's bigger and he's mean, he takes it and he hoards it like this. Oh, this was all over the BBC. You don't act like that at Wimbledon. No, no, no. Everything's quite proper, you see. <laughs> Meanness is part of the end of civility in society. Jonah was mean. I hate to even bring this up from the Old Testament because he's a hero of mine. He was an evangelist. And, and, and Jonah was mean. God tells him to go to Nineveh. Go there and tell the people to repent because they're very wicked. First thing he says, I don't want to. Now, God's gifted him to preach. I'm not going. Well, a fish had something to say about that. And he gets thrust up on the shore, and he goes, all right, I'll go. And he heads to Nineveh. And, and Nineveh, incidentally, will be the civilization that's going to destroy most of Israel and take over everything. I don't like them. I don't want to do this. But at least God told him to preach to them to repent. And so with just sheer meanness, he preaches the harshness of God. God's really mad. You're doing everything wrong. You can repent if you want to, but I don't think it's going to work. That, that's kind of his attitude. So he preaches with an unwilling heart. He doesn't like these people. He didn't want to go in the first place. And they repent. The whole city repents of their sins. Jonah, I knew this was going to happen. I knew this. Was. He goes off. He pouts to himself sitting under a tree, and he doesn't even get enough shade. And he's, why don't you just kill me now? You're merciful. I knew you were going to do this. That's our first example of an evangelist. Mean, mean man at Wimbledon, mean man. The opposite of it is kindness. Kindness, to be kind to the ungrateful, to be kind to the wicked. Incidentally, in the Greek language, the difference between the word kindness and the word Christ is just one letter. Christos for Christ. Christos, E instead of an I, for kindness. It's almost synonymous with Jesus himself. The kindness of God leads us even to repentance. So look what it says in Ephesians 4.32. We've got it for you on the screen about kindness. Be kind and compassionate to one another and forgive each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. The ultimate evidence of kindness is when you forgive those who have hurt you the most. Whoa, kindness. It's a wonderful thing. It makes life a lot happier. Now, when I was working on kindness, I was a youth pastor um, just after Christ rose from the dead. This is about how long ago when I was a youth pastor. Uh, but uh, we would always sing songs in all of our youth groups. And sometimes we use contemporary songs as well as contemporary Christian songs. And so as I'm working on kindness all week, this song started, where is this coming from? Where is it coming from? Well, I, I remembered where it was coming from. 
And it's a great old song from like the late 60s or early 70s. And it was sung by Glenn Campbell. And it's called Try a Little Kindness. I'm going to actually put the uh, chorus on the screen so you can sing it with me. Now, as you do this, you've got to have a little southern twang as you do it. So if you see your brother standing by the road with a heavy load from the seeds he sowed, and if you see your sister falling by the way, just stop and say, you're going the wrong way. You've got to try a little kindness. Yes, show a little kindness. Just shine a light for everyone to see. And if you try a little kindness and you overlook the blindness of the narrow-minded people on the narrow-minded streets. Now, come on. The first service did it better than you're doing it right now. <laughs> You've got to try a little kindness. Yes, show a little kindness. Just shine your light so everyone can see. And if you try a little kindness and you overlook the blindness of the narrow-minded people on the narrow-minded stream. All right, there you go. Okay. Straight. Straight from the Word of God through the lips and the fantastic guitar playing of Mr. Glenn Campbell. All right. All right. Inner disposition, where your heart starts wanting to be kind. That's what kindness is. It leads to goodness. 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 Goodness, as we saw, was the actions to advance another's welfare. Kindness is the inner disposition. Goodness is what we do to bring Christ to people. Uh, John Stott has said that, that goodness is moral excellence. I, I found an old sermon that I had written back when I was in my first church that I was pastoring. And evidently, I did a series of sermons on all the fruit of the Spirit. And so I pulled that thing out, and the, even the paper is colored yellow now, and it was originally white. I mean, that's how old this is. And I read through it, and I go, that's not bad for 26 years old. Yeah. And then I thought, I really haven't learned much since then. <laughs> <laughs> but there was one line that, that I had written into that sermon about goodness, and it was this, and, and I rather like it. It said, we are to be black and white people in a morally gray world. Goodness is living out the black and white life that Christ has given to us through his word. We live in a morally ambiguous world, don't we? All sorts of things, shades of gray. But God has given us what is right and what is wrong. And he's told us that when we do the wrong things, we end up hurting ourselves and everyone else in the process. So do the right things. Goodness is living out the calling of Christ he has given to us. One person came up to me after the first service and they said, Lon, if black and white persons are to uh, live in a gray world, they'll have lots of enemies to love. I thought that was, that was well said. Yeah. Don't expect to always be liked for being a goody-goody. But you're called to be a goody-goody. 
Yeah. There's nothing noble or good or strong about being mean. We're to live out the laws and the, and the principles that Christ has placed in us. Let's look at the opposite again, though. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. The opposite of goodness is badness. And Paul is kind to help us see what that is. Chapter 5, starting in verse 3, I also have it on the screens for you there. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Verse 4, nor should there be obscenities, foolish talk, or coarse jesting, which are out of place, rather thanksgiving. Notice when he's talking about those two categories of badness, the first has to do with actions, sexual immorality, uh, impurities, greed, and the actual word there is covetedness. Not only do we want more, but we want to take from you to get it if we need to. Coveting. Coveting what's not yours. Actions. But then in verse 4, he moves from talking about actions to the mouth, the tongue. And the more you study the New Testament, when it's talking about the things that are vices in life, so much of them have to do with our tongue. He says they're obscenities, foolish talk, coarse joking. It's out of place, he says, just out of place. If you have your Bibles open, go up a little bit above chapter 5 to chapter 4. I don't have this for you on the screen, but let me just read it, starting in verse 29 of chapter 4. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building people up according to their needs, that it may benefit people. How God loves our tongues because he gave us language to build up and guide people through kindness. But instead, we use our tongues and we promote all manner of, of badness by tearing down. Interesting, isn't it? Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, get rid of rage, get rid of your anger, get rid of brawling, get rid of slander. Slander, slander is really vile. Slander is when we make others seem bad by the way we color our language and our stories about them to achieve our own ends. That's what slander is. Malice, he brings up, is even worse. Malice is when we choose to make someone look bad through exaggeration and lies for our own ends. We do not wish them well. Tongue, tongue, tongue. What is goodness? Goodness is when your actions and your tongue are noble. That's hard, <laughs> isn't it? I, I do okay on the actions some of the time, but the tongue, oh my goodness. And incidentally, the Bible even gets so strong in saying before, before what you say, uh, realize this, even your thoughts are judged by God. Because <laughs> sometimes my tongue doesn't say it. I don't want to. You see, only Jesus can do what Jesus is asking us to be. This level of goodness 
thoughts, words, deeds. But that's the calling that we have. Now, look with me again in chapter 5 and look at verses 8 through 11. Very interesting. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 11, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, vices. Rather, expose them. It, it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Now, let me deal with that just a little bit. You, you see how the Apostle Paul is taking the concept of the fruit, goodness, righteousness, and truth, and then he does a metaphor with it. And what's the metaphor he's going to? Light. Light. Fruit is like light. Okay, so now he changes metaphors on us, but we go there with him. Have you ever been in a dark cave? I, I remember in college, you, we were hanging out in the hills above Concord, California, some old caves and uh, coal, or I don't know what they were digging out of there. And, and anyhow, we, we had flashlights, and there's like 10 of us. We're all about 22 or 23 uh, uh, grown-up people bodies, still a very small mind, and uh, not everything's working right, and, and we're having fun. And, and the, the person that led us down there, he takes us deep in, maybe a mile in, and he says, and he just stops. And, of course, everybody runs into him. And, and then he says, all right, everybody, let's do this. Turn off your lights. Have you had that happen? It is so dark, your eyes never adjust. You, you literally cannot see your hands in front of your face. Have you had that happen? Okay, he's using that for his portrait of darkness. And darkness is the vices. It's the thoughts, the words, and the deeds he says, it's so dark, you can't exist. But then the leader turns on his flashlight, and suddenly this massive cave opens up, and everything is exposed. The smallest pen light, uh, pilot light, will give you the light you need in darkness because light dominates dark. And so what Paul's doing with that is saying, your kindness and your goodness are light that dominate the darkness. It says two things about it. He says it exposes them. It exposes fruitless deeds of darkness. Now, here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that because you know Jesus Christ and he's living in you, that it's therefore your job to tell everyone else how bad they are. It's not saying that. Look what it says. Rather, expose them. It's shameful to even mention the things that the disobedient do in secret. But everything is exposed by the light and becomes visible. What it means is our lives expose the darkness. The quality of life, the love that doesn't hate, the conflict that turns into reconciliation, the forgiveness that you didn't imagine imaginable happens, and suddenly the quality of Christ in you is the light that shines against all dark thoughts, speech, and actions in the world. 
I love that. That's why when we teach about witness and evangelism, I don't know if you got my uh, latest book on it, sales pitch, uh, but we actually talk about the difference between praying for people to be, come to Jesus and displaying Jesus to people. They're both very important. We display the light, and people are drawn to him who is the light. In fact, look at the end of verse 13. I wish I had read this before I wrote the book. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And look at this. Everything that is illuminated becomes a light. There's something about our behavior in Jesus that God literally uses to draw people to the light. Oh, wow. Tremendous stuff there. Thank you, Lord. We were once darkness. Now we are light. Some of you here, uh, you, you may be saying, I don't know about this whole Christianity thing. I get you. And, and we're just glad you're here to investigate. It means the world to us that you're here. Please come as you are. But I guess the point I'd want to make to you today is we believe that once we do receive Christ and he forgives us of our sins, he also takes up residence in us and he starts making us people of light. We still have a long way to go and we mess up a lot. But as somebody said, if you think I'm bad now, you should have seen me before. Yeah, because God is making us light. The new human, the virtues, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the whole package is the package he's seeking to work in me and you. So how do we get there? How do we get there? I just have two things to say to you. How do we... How do we learn, uh, not learn, how do we become kindness? And how do we act through goodness? Two things I, I want to bring up. Number one, it takes hard inner work. Hard inner work. I mean, down inside of you, there's a bunch of stuff that God's going to root out over time. It takes great patience, which is maybe why patience was the virtue before we got to kindness and goodness. It takes patience. Part of the reason you have the numbers of trials and troubles in your life is God knows we, we only get bigger muscles when we work out hard. And our soul works out hard in crisis and troubles. So don't ever expect those to go away. In fact, uh, James says to us, just really be happy when things are hard. <laughs> Not there yet. Why? Because God is doing so much in you, building the character of Christ into you during your sorrows. But this inner life, um, I'm getting ready to teach a course at Wheaton College this fall on what we call leadership of the soul. You can't really lead in your world until your soul's in fairly good shape. And so it's all about all that inner stuff. And I watched a video for a minute and a half this week that really riveted me on YouTube or somewhere. It was by a, a pastor by the name of Bill Hybels, who's just a great guy and has led a wonderful church. And he was writing on a whiteboard. He was doing some leadership training, and he drew kind of an egg-like circle on it, and then he put a line right through the middle of the circle. And, he's, and then the line, above the line, he wrote the word aware. And below the line, he wrote the word unaware. And he said, every human being has stuff underneath their awareness that motivates them. 
Christian psychologists, too, will often call this um, child wounds. And here's why. Every baby that is born is born into a very dark world. Even with the best parents and the best behavior of us as parents and grandparents, we still mess up. But beyond that, even if we didn't mess up, the world would still do a pretty good job of wounding our kids. We've all been deeply wounded. And, and Heibel said this. He said, I, before I learned about part of this child wound in me, he says, I was really a taskmaster as a pastor. I yelled at staff. I would fire staff. And so people got a hold of me and said, there's something that is bruised and broken in you that's pretty bad. And he says, I had to do the deep inner work to find it. And in his own case, he realized that he had been raised in a non-nurturing home of the only emotions being hard emotions, of not feeling loved. What that had done is, you see, what he, he took that with him and he took what he had experienced and he took it into his leadership. And when he took it into his leadership, he was bruised and breaking people until he understood where it came from. Until he did, here's what he said, I had to do the deep inner work to get unfettered from it. Uh, read this quote from Wordsworth. It's, it's quite powerful. The child is the father of the man. You could also write it, the child is the mother of the woman, meaning the wounds from long, long time ago, if not dealt with and healed by the Lord Jesus Christ, become the things we project on others. You either transform or you transfer. You either transform in your badness or you transfer badness. And some of that's from our earliest things. A lot of it isn't. A lot of it, we pick up, we pick up darkness all along the way. But Jesus is out to transform it all. He's out to transform it all. So self-awareness. Do you have an honest friend who can really speak to you? Perhaps a spouse, a close friend, and you say, hey, my life's wide open. Are there some blind spots I'm not seeing in me when I'm causing pain? Do you have somebody like that? I've also had two mentors, uh, both men about 20 years older than me. One of them wrote to me this morning just to encourage me, knowing I was preaching all day long. He wrote from North Carolina. He's not only been used to encourage me, he's encouraged me by helping me see some of the wounds takes hard work. It's worth every bit of it. Prayer, counseling, honest friends, mentors. Go deep. Find out what it is that moves you. I wish I had time to tell you what I did to my weed trimmer yesterday. It's a mean weed trimmer. The, you, I don't know how you wind those things with that little spool stuff. I worked on it for an hour. It still wouldn't work. I threw it across the garage. I said, I'll mow my lawn instead. Went out mowing the lawn, and God said, example for sermon. <laughs> and, and I don't have much time to deal with this. I've got to finish this whole thing in a minute. But 
one of my wounds is, a, is, a, is an innate sense of incompetency. And I'm not going to tell you the two events that happened in my life that helped me to understand that. But my default is all, so that trimmer doesn't work. And it's not the trimmer's fault. It's my fault. I can't do anything. And God says, hey, remember those events that made you think you're incompetent? You weren't then. You're not now. And I'm making you totally competent in every way. It took me an hour of lawn mowing to get there. Then the Lord gave me the grace to try with the trimmer once again. And it worked. The inner work you've got to do in your life, folks. Secondly, you simply got to admit to Jesus, I cannot be this good. I cannot be kind. And God goes, I know. But I can. And so it's, it's what I call S&S, sorrow and surrender. Sorrow, Lord, forgive me for my anger. Lord, I surrender. You make me right in the anger category till my anger becomes kindness. So number one, you've got to go deep and do the inner work. And number two, you've just got to admit sorrow and surrender. Read what Paul Tripp wrote. Perhaps it's not such a bad thing to come to the end of our rope if at the end of it you find a strong and willing Savior. Huh? Isn't that good? Yeah. Remember this, gang. Remember the after picture. The after picture is Jesus Christ, whose kindness leads us to repentance, to be saved, and whose goodness is perfection. That's what I'm becoming. That's what you're becoming. Let's pray. And so, Lord, you we commit our brokenness and our badness, but we also commit that we hear you crying out, I'm going to make you kind and I'm going to make you good. Do it, Lord Jesus. Do it. Amen.